You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hey, everybody. This is a rebroadcast of an episode that I published all the way back in 2012, one of, literally one of the first four episodes that I ever did, and that is to celebrate the life of Garrett O'Donnell. He played in a band called Plays Mistaken for Stars. He also put out some music under Hawks and Doves, and he was just a incredibly... Um, a thoughtful and kind human being. And um, yeah, I just, uh, he passed away yesterday after a year long plus battle with esophageal cancer. And uh, yeah, it just, um, I don't know, it hit me anytime we lose a person in our music community whose art has affected us and influenced us. That's always one thing. Um, but then, you know, when you get the connective tissue that is pulled together, when you actually can you know, work with people and attend their shows and just have that, that deeper connection. Uh, Garrett is a person that I've known for a long time. It was actually, I want to say, the first or second time Planes Mistaken for Stars came through Southern California, played at a place called Coos Cafe. This is when the band was living in Pura, Illinois at the time. I think they were in the process of moving to Denver, but... Um, Peoria was a city I was uh, personally familiar with, so I actually struck up a conversation with Garrett and was like, you know, Peoria, Illinois, like, I know that. He was like, that's weird. <laughs> He's like, no one knows where Peoria, Illinois is. But anyways, ever since then, I just always found him to be incredibly uh, warm and engaging. He was the, the type of guy that when you would have a conversation with him, you would really need to uh, strap in <laughs> and be like, all right, like, I'm going to get all of Garrett's attention. And uh, throughout the years, uh, I got to interact with him multiple times. One of the more uh, longer times that I spent with him on the road was uh, I tour managed Alexis on Fire for a tour, and we were out with Hot Water Music, Moments in Grace, uh, and Planes Mistaken for Stars. And listening to Garrett warm up was one of the, like, <laughs> I felt like he was like summoning demons. Like it was such a, and I actually think I mentioned this in the interview, but I just was always transfixed by what he did to kind of get his voice ready because he definitely has one of the most unique voices within independent music, punk, hardcore, whatever you want to call it. But, um, so that was a a really interesting experience and he lived life (laughs) his own way. Uh, you know, he definitely experienced a lot of, uh, you know, hard things and maybe didn't take care of his body in the way that, you know, one might, uh, typically maybe expect. I mean, he definitely, you know, enjoyed the alcohol and, uh, you know, definitely dabbled in some drugs, but, uh, he was the sort of guy where he, that was what he wanted to do. So he leaned heavily into it. And, uh, I kind of saw that on that Alexis on fire tour. Um, and then I actually, a couple years after that, I got to work with Garrett in putting out the Planes Mistaken for Stars record, uh, Mercy, that got put out on Century Media slash Abacus Recordings. So I got to deal with him a lot from a professional perspective. And even though there were tough conversations that we had during that time, because I was a huge fan of the band, but then, um, you know, there were there were things that just didn't go right in the uh, you know release process of that record. But he always maintained this level of clarity and, and kindness towards me as an individual, even though there were times where he was frustrated. Um, I just always appreciated that because, you know, he could have been a horrible person to me um, for, you know, a multitude of reasons, just from a, you know, sort of business perspective. But he never did that. He was just always like, man, this is tough. Like, let's figure this out. And so... I just, I, I really appreciated him as a person and I want this conversation to, um, you know, live on. And the fact that you know, this is like almost a 10 year old conversation, you'll hear, um, you know, a lot of different things, but, um, that are different than what they are now. But I felt like it was important to share because, uh, yeah, Garrett was a special individual. So rest in power, listen to Planes Mistaken for Stars. They have an unbelievable catalog. Honestly, I, every record I celebrate of theirs, so, so good. Um, I'm a little partial to Mercy just because I have a lot of emotional connection to that, but all of their stuff is incredible. So, Garrett, I love you, and I am so glad that you impacted my life in so many different ways from your art and you being a human. So, here we go.
being in a band is not just like being in a band, it's like a lifestyle. Like especially what you've done, you know? Um Yeah, definitely. I mean Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Most definitely. I mean it, it, it's, it doesn't really lend itself to normalcy or what what you would think. Oh, definitely. Would be, but I mean, you know, even though like financially, logically and sometimes spiritually, like it's almost impossible to like leave. You still have that. It's it's like being a fucking crackhead. <laughs> it's an it's an addiction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like oh, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I have to. Yeah. Only it's a little bit more positive. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's not. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, being in a band could be destructive in some ways, but it's not um, too. Yeah, it's obviously not the same. You don't see television <laughs> shows about intervention for people starting bands and playing music. Well, that would be worth watching. Then I can do anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, <clears throat> I guess a good place to start because I like to, you know, there. I think a lot of people, especially, you know, I mean, I've I've known you for a while and we've dealt with each other professionally and personally on, you know, different aspects, but in the context of where, you know, people like you and I know each other, it's like there's never really any time to be like, hey, so where did, you know, where were you born? Like, where, you know, why did you become the person that you are and stuff like that? So I kind of wanted to start off with like, you know, were you, uh, you know, were you always, were you born in like the Illinois area? Because, you know, I mean, I, my first exposure to Planes of the Sacred for Stars your, you know, your original music project, so to speak, um, was like out of the Peoria, Illinois area. Like, were you born there, or where, what was your upbringing? Um, yeah, I don't remember much about it, but yeah, I was definitely born there. <laughs> and, <laughs> sure. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, upbringing. Uh, you know, my mom was a nurse, single mother. Me and my little brother. Uh, my grandparents were there. They're a huge huge in my life, like, huge forces and shaping as far as, like, you know, go back to asking what, why I am, how I am. A big part of it would be my pop, grandpa. Was this, sorry to interrupt, but was this all, like, uh, was this in Peoria, or did you, was it, like, kind of the surrounding areas, or where did you make your move? Yeah, yeah, it was Peoria. Oh, okay. I, I was in Peoria until I was almost, I think, geez, 22 and then yeah I moved to 21 or 22 and then I think there's we had some kind of a mass exodus I think there's 13 of us moved at once to Denver holy shit yeah we were sort of all on the same page um we all came up pretty much the same way uh kind of disenfranchised like you know little fucking punk rockers skateboard kids and Peoria didn't really lend itself to that and I mean you know it's all relative Peoria in some respects I'm just coming to grips with it now because anytime I've been there or lived there it was not by my choice and I'm actually planning on moving back there soon to be closer to my kids and just just a little mellower but that's that's my own issues. Yeah, it sounds trite, but happiness is what you make it. You know, mm-hmm. um, but growing up, yeah, it, it was it was kind of a blight. It was a bit of a. Yeah, I just felt we all felt sort of crushed, and we're like, "All right, let's get the hell out of here." And then we became young adults, like not quite, you know, men or women yet, but yeah. Well, young adults and we're like we can do this now right well because and to put to put in context too like i mean i i personally have been to peoria a few times because my my stepfather was raised in farmington illinois which is like you know an hour south and so peoria was obviously like the biggest closest city but Pe- peoria is like um it, it some of my first memories of her, are of farmington I, I lived there for like a year when i was 
2005. I know, that that just blows my mind, because I remember seeing you guys, <laughs> seeing Planes Mistaken for Stars when you guys came through in, uh, and played, like, Coos Cafe here in Santa Ana, California, and I just remember <laughs> someone told me you guys were from Peoria, and I went up to, I can't remember who it was, but I was just like, hey, I've been to Farmington at your merch, and they were like, fuck yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was somebody with a beard and long hair. Yeah, um, precisely. <laughs> but to put Peoria in context, it's like it was a big enough city to be like you know a city, but definitely I didn't feel like it had a strong identity, so to speak. Um, I don't know if that you felt you know was that kind of like the, well, the like, stifling nature of it. It's like the the little engine that did. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's sort of it's sort of it, it's sort of depressing. I mean, because it has all the the right trappings. I mean, it has a couple colleges. It has industry. It had industry. It's like your classic Rust Belt. I mean, it's one of the biggest population wise in Illinois. I think the second, if not second, second or third. And I mean, I I don't know what it is. Whether it's something in the water. Oh, I found a book on Peoria. Um, it's pretty, it's amazing. Like, it, you know, it goes, it, it focuses largely on, you know, the early 1900s, whatnot. And, uh, you know, Capone at one point had moved all of the bootlegging dealings down to Peoria and it was starting to kind of blow up, you know, like it was like the hip place to be. I mean, you've heard the saying, if it plays in Peoria, right? Have you heard that? I have heard it'll that, play yeah. Anywhere. Yeah, if it, if it plays in Peoria, and what it means is if it plays in Peoria, it'll play anywhere. Because it's such a cross-section of... Well, there's two ways to look at it, because it's cross-section, such a large cross-section of people, or that if the Hicks in Peoria can deal with it, you can deal with it in New York, you know, no sweat. Yeah. But um, but uh, what, I've, what I've learned, it's taken me years, you know, is that uh, Peoria... Maybe not the greatest place to stay, but it's a great place to be from because some of the best people I've ever met. Yeah, it sounds. Ever, I mean, yeah, it sounds. Are, are the, from there? Interesting. It, it's a certain sort of like uh, gives you a certain sort of constitution. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. I don't know what it's like right now because I'm not a teenager <laughs> growing yeah. up in Peoria, like trying to wrap my head around sure. pop culture or the future or art or music or anything uh i will tell you that you know that part of the country gets a bad rap like a lot of people don't realize how beautiful uh, illinois is parts of it it's not all flat i mean very hilly and beautiful but i will also tell you culturally i mean i was because of i had to move this is fantastic i had to move to my mom's basement when i was 30 yeah (laughs) i just turned 30 (laughs) And it was great. It was great. It was like, Denver was my city. And it's like, I, I never thought that I wouldn't be in Denver. Mm-hmm. My city had it fucking wired. You know, my best friends ever, good jobs, blah, blah, blah. Life happens. Shit falls out sometimes. Sure. Anyway, so I moved in my mom's basement, and I'll, I'll never forget, uh, it was the last planes tour. The guys, uh, you know, we went all out for the last tour, and we actually rented an RV pretty fantastic and we were able to bring our friends that were opening with us uh, Kingdom of Magic in the RV with us so it was like a quarter of Denver in this RV <laughs> like, like everybody I loved with all my heart and you know we're headed back they were headed back west and I wasn't with them yeah that must, that must have been weird <laughs> yeah and they're like alright we're dropping you off uh, at your mom's house right like you know, here goes, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so they take off, and it was you know that was heartbreaking enough. But later on that day, I was like, you know what, screw this, I'm going to the bar. I need a drink. Like, I just this is just too much to swallow. Like, oh yeah, like like sitting fifty pounds of shit in a ten pound bag. You know, like this sure. is just too much. And so I'm, I'm 30 years old, and I'm walking up to the bar. <laughs> I'm not shitting you. A pickup truck drives by me and yells, "Faggot!" Oh my 
Uh, <laughs> and I just like you know I just about gave up to go straight there. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm thirty. Yeah. This this was this was this wasn't acceptable when I was fifteen, man. But, yeah, this uh, is one of the reasons why I moved out of Peoria. Yeah, you know, and to, to be fair, I, like I paint a picture of it. Sometimes it really isn't. <laughs> It isn't that bad. A lot of it's a mental state and yeah. where you are emotionally. And it just so happens that most of the time that I was spent in Peoria, other than, you know, my, my childhood, was, uh, other than my childhood, yeah, it was miserable. Yeah, no, I <laughs> <laughs> No, no. So it's easy to pick, you know, pick, pick it apart, pick the bad parts out. And that's what usually, like, rises to the surface. Yeah, no, it's it's easy to yeah, it's easy to talk on the bad things like you said. But yeah. um, was your um, so did your uh, your father had no influence on your life whatsoever? He kind of just skipped town, so to speak. Um, well, that's a whole yeah, that's that, a whole other I'm sure that's right? not a simple question. Um, <laughs> no, my father. Uh, what's the best way? I, I try to be really careful and ginger when I talk about family. I understand. Um, he, for whatever reason, he wasn't around. Sure. I, I, he's, he's a wonderful grandfather. Got it. Got like it. he's, he's wonderful to my sons and I, there's just a, I didn't really meet him until my first son was born. Like we didn't really have a relationship, mm-hmm. whatever, like whatever happened, happened. I mean, I've gotten a lot more sensitive to these things because uh, I have children of my own, and I know that they're sold a line, or have maybe been at some point. And who knows? Like, there's two sides, three sides, four sides to every story. Of course, it's not. It's not. Will, uh, it's not just cut and dry. But no, I totally understand that. And at least, like, no. In a, a lot of cases, people are way too black and white, and especially like you know, our artists. And musicians will be like, my dad was bad, I'm angry. You know? It's simple. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, but it's, it's not, you know? And, and I love the man. I, uh, you know, there's a reckoning to be had at some point. It just hasn't happened. Sure. No, I understand. Um, but I, you know, I'm not sure, but no, no, he wasn't. And to, he wasn't around. And, and to be, to be fair, I don't I don't know exactly all what happened. But yeah. I will say that growing up here and there, I mean, you gotta figure this is like the eighties mm-hmm. when this is and you know, and it was still like kind of a I mean you're you are you are past like the what do you call it, the this is when we started to slide out of like the atomic family age. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the nuclear family. Nuclear family, yeah, atomic family. That's so smart. Um, nuclear, nuclear, same, same fucking premise. Same thing. Um, <laughs> nuclear family, and like people, like it was kind of like a, a topic. It was topical. And I remember like people asking me, like, Do you know, where's your dad? Or you don't have a dad? Or, you know, and I was like, huh? Right. But I, I just, I didn't notice. Yeah. Like well, it didn't, had, you, it like, meant nothing. You mentioned that you obviously, you're, you know, your grandpa and your grandparents in general were a very large figure, and it's not like you were left to want because you did have people that surrounded you that loved you, obviously. Exactly. I didn't, yeah. I, it, you know, I wasn't like out of a fucking Dickens novel. I wasn't running around with English clubs. Ooh, sir. <laughs> man. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, had, I had a great upbringing. To me, it was like, well, where are your grandparents? I got three parents. Yeah. You're like, I beat you, know, like, you. You know, my my mom was my best friend, or, you know, like, my, my mom was my mom. Right. My grandmother was the, was the disciplinarian, you know, mm-hmm. and my grandfather was my best friend. So it was kind of like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think out of all of them, like, probably my grandfather rubbed off on me the most, like, just, just a wise ass, but really kind of mellow and just, like, Stoic, but not in like a haughty way, you know. Sure. Just yeah, just he was fine. I mean, I grew up in bars, dude. Like that's <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You, you, and, you, you, I should, I should, 
I should rephrase that. I grew up in American Legion halls. Right, right. You you learned you learned from the uh, communal atmosphere of <laughs> of the American Legion yeah. halls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's where my sense of humor comes from. And for like a large part of my lexicon comes from, you mm-hmm. know. Sure. You know, I try to talk to people sometimes, and they're like, "What's wrong with this guy? I don't understand a word that's coming out of his mouth." Because I'm just, I'm talking like a 70 year old man would 20 years ago. Right. You know. So you were, yeah, you but, were, you definitely had, uh, you were, in certain ways, you were obviously not sheltered from the world and you were exposed to it pretty quickly. Not in a negative manner, but just in a, like you said, you know, you, you, in certain no, aspects, yeah. you were born old. No, yeah. I, I absolutely would not. I was protected, but I was not sheltered. Right. I was I was safe, but I wasn't. Nobody sold me a lot of shit. Right. Put it that way. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, and it's it's you funny. know like yeah, it, it is funny. Like, it, like, that's what like, my impression my impression of you and kind of the impression that you know you obviously have put out with you know your your art and your music is that. Um, above all everything else has been extremely honest with the band you know it's like there's never no one can look at what you've done with Planes Mistaken for Stars or Hawks and Doves and they might not like it musically but they can't question its authenticity if that makes any sense you know and it's kind of like and that that means the world to me I mean that's all we ever really if we set out to achieve anything which I don't think you really know until it's hindsight I mean, because we're a different kind of breed of band, you right. know, like, uh, and, and at that, we were like the last wave of bands that we were bands because that's what we had to do. Like, nowadays, bands, uh, you know, they have agents or fucking Kickstarter accounts before they even have a tune. <laughs> I yeah. mean, we were like the last wave of, like, kind of get-in-the-van bands, you know, like, we were like steeped on like SST records and like all we knew of touring was like from reading old zines and being like okay well Black Flag did it this way right (laughs) I mean mean, it it sounds incredibly naive but I mean we just that's just how we did things like I like we didn't have a cell phone until well I I didn't have a cell phone until I was 30 right I'm 35 now (laughs) I do the math like yeah and it was it was kind of like it wasn't like we were staunch like ebullition style like punk rockers like dude so cell phones are like you know not fucking kosher it was just like do we need this right you know there's pay phones now there isn't it's totally bizarre (laughs) but uh really I was looking for one recently I don't I didn't even know why maybe I needed a quarter Um, (laughs) you kick them hard enough (laughs) You like, just, just kick them hard enough. You can get a couple bucks. Right, 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 right. But uh, 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 before I forget, yeah, just talking about like not being sold a line mm-hmm. of shit. Um, one of my favorite things that my grandpa ever told me, my, my pop told me, was uh, I remember we were in a store called Children's Palace. Remember that? It's like Toys R Us, but before Toys R Us. Yeah, I know. Palace. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, once in a while we would we would go there. Never get anything. He just let me look. <laughs> I remember being like trying my first stab at trying to like be conniving or manipulative. You know, right? <laughs> Saying, "Boy, I I really wish I had that pop." It was like a GI Joe or whatever, right? And looking at me and like you know tussling on my little ragamuffin head. <laughs> and he was saying. Wish in one hand, shit in the other, boy. See what fills up faster. <laughs> and that's just, that's how, that's my understanding of things. Yeah, words of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, um, and sort of to transition into that, um, you know, how did you, because obviously, like you were speaking about Peoria, and obviously it not being the hotbed culture of the world, or hotbed center of culture in the world, how did you sort of start to trip on, you know, like you were mentioning, SST, Black Flag, like, you know, what was your your entry point, and, like, how were you exposed to that? Um, I mean, there's always a couple, like, like older kids around, 
you know, like in high school or whatever, sure. junior high, you know, or, you, you know, we'd go to the mall and there'd be the guy with the blue mohawk and you'd look and see what his jacket said. And then you would, sure. <laughs> then you would just try to try to see like those reference points. I mean, you know, like the crimson ghost from the misfits, like mm-hmm. that would be like a telltale sign. If you see that, then that sticker in a record store or a comic book store or whatever, you would head that way, you know, and, and then you would just try to, well, basically it's just game over once you get your first, well, then once you got your first zine and then you could write people. Got it. And like, I mean, yeah, that's kind of, that was a big part of it. And then mine, well, I, I kind of lucked out in two ways. Uh, and, well, I don't know if lucked out's really the... <laughs> yeah, you were headed down a path, let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, the two, the two things that headed me down the path that, that, that I went were uh, Streets on Fire. I got, like, a bootleg copy of Streets on Fire, because I was a little, you know, skate, skate guy, you know, mm-hmm. skateboarder. That was my big thing. And uh, Streets on Fire had the most amazing... All, it was all SST except for the Palehead tracks on there. Um, but most amazing soundtrack. And, and other, like up to that point, I hadn't really... I liked music. My mother always played music, had records in the house, but she wasn't, you know, some sort of savant. You know, like she she would, you know, jam out on The Police, which is still my favorite band. Um, but yeah, The Police, Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. you know, you're stapled. Sure. And I remember enjoying them and really liking liking some songs, but man, that Streets on Fire video, Santa Cruz Skateboards, yeah. Nice. I, I watched it for the skateboarding, but I remember just being completely floored on how rad the music was. Like, what is this? Like, the first time you hear a nervous breakdown. Come on. You know? Or Fire Hose, or right. just all those bands. And, uh, I didn't have a stereo and I certainly had no means to get one, but what I would do is I would uh, play the movie and my, when my grandparents were gone and sometimes when they were there, they didn't mind so much. I'd play the, the VHS tape and I would turn the TV up as loud as it would go and I would skate on the sidewalk. And, uh, that's what, that's kind of what got me to punk rock or hardcore or whatever. Sure. Yeah. In, independent culture. <laughs> Yeah, and like, you know, and, and, and then from there on out, I would, you know, save my paper out money or whatever and order records. Nice. Or, uh, you know, you get one maximum rock and roll, there's hundreds of addresses in there. You know, I mean, you got to throw a bunch against the, the wall to see what sticks. And I ordered a lot of terrible records, I'll tell you that. Right. But uh, <laughs> you got to learn the hard way. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And then the other really driving force in that part of my life was... I lucked out that my mom's, uh, her high school boyfriend, named Sheldon, Sheldon Eater, cool dude, uh, he always kept in touch with her and, and me, and he, he's just an old rock and roll cat. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's had record stores since the 70s, and, you know, I mean, he's been everywhere. Like, he showed me his, like, sex pistol, the ticket stuff from when they canceled Chicago. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. But it, I mean, he's he's probably 60, 60 something now. I actually just went and visited him, but uh, so he just he's just a hip cat, and uh, I think from like sixth grade on up until well, still like every year I'll get a box full of records and old zines. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, you know, I mean, he'll be like, "Hey man, you know, what the fuck? You you haven't been you." You're not hip to the pretty things or the pink fairies. <laughs> I like so the pink cool. fairies. Yeah, they used to tour talk with. Here, let me send you a couple records. You know, stuff like that. And yeah, that was like a, a huge driving force. And I think probably a large force of why musically what Planes did was a little askew of some of the other stuff that was going on because at the same time that we're listening to you know, whatever, Black Flag and, and or, you know, Sam I Am, we're also listening to the Pink Fairies and Hawkwind. Right. And this, like, kind of semi-obscure shit that 
it turned us on just as much. Right. And it didn't, and obviously it's not cited as a typical influence. And this actually leads into, you know, my next question about kind of, you know, where the inception, um, because I imagine, I mean, you probably played, um, or, you know, kind of what prompted you to sort of, you know, pick up guitar and start to obviously be interested in the idea of, like, you know, coming into, you know, a band and playing the band. Because I imagine that Planes probably wasn't your first uh, stab at playing in a band, because everyone always obviously has to have a terrible band beforehand. But who knows? Oh, yeah. Wait, I... <laughs> you, got, you, have, you have a few, I hope? I came, I came out golden, buddy. No, oh, yeah. I, definitely... <laughs> I came out no, golden. I definitely had a... I definitely had a band that was uh, a little questionable, but it, you know we're kiddos. Yeah. What was the, What was the name of the uh, band? I always love names of first bands. What was the name of it? Yeah, if you remember. If you're gonna do that to me, oh. I, I am. I mean, it, it, if you're not comfortable with it, I, I can. I can. No, out, no. I can out my first band's name. We can trade. It was. It was fine. Mine. Mine. Really, there's not much of a trail to. So, uh, the first first band. Uh, I forget about it. I think it was 14. Me and Matt, Plains, uh, first and longest, longest standing guitar player, mm-hmm. uh, started a band when we were 14 or 15. There's this girl that we both had a crush on oh, in high school. This is already the best and story she was I've like, ever heard. He, yeah. She's like, you know, I know this guy that I think you'd get really, like, along with really well. And I was like, yeah, ooh, ooh, you know. <laughs> He likes that punk rock stuff. I was like, really? Ooh. Like, that was exciting because there's so few of us. And uh, <laughs> we got got in touch with each other, totally naive, not realizing that we're both being played by the same chick. <laughs> you know, like, right. oh, it's so cool of her to introduce us to, get, you know, to each other. How <laughs> <laughs> does she know you so well? Right. Um, <laughs> we started a band with a... Uh, Kind of some older punk rocker dudes in town. It was called uh, it's called P N D. P N D. Okay. Yes, P N D. Uh, I think it's standard. It's standard. It stood for a post nasal drip. Oh, um, so good. <laughs> yes. So did in- I remember one of the first first songs I wrote was about uh, <laughs> Tipper Gore. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> Dude, this, is, this goes way back. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a picture. I have one picture of us. Oh, that's... The, the that's graveyard good. shots have all been lost. We did... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that, to me, you just summarized, I think, like, almost everybody's, uh, you know, like, 13, 14-year-old just getting into punk. Like, that. that's like, that's like the typical upbringing. That's perfect. Everybody needs to have that experience. <laughs> yeah, and it... <laughs> Hey, we tried our fucking best, man. But that didn't last long. I got kicked out. And then the, the singer they got, I remember, <laughs> the singer they kicked me out for, his name was Alfie. And instead of singing about Tipper Gore, he sang songs about Kermit the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a slight shift in subject matter. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. I, I went to their first show with them, and I was like, fuck. Like, because they played the same songs, it was just some different dork, you know, right. slightly outdorking me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Kermit the Frog, Kermit the Frog, keep my dog, keep my dog. Wow. <laughs> That's a winner. <laughs> and, and, and then after that, I actually, I taught myself how to, well, it's debatable, but I taught myself how to play bass, and then we started a band called Dismissed. It was kind of like a pop punk sort of thing. Okay. I like I had like discovered like you know Dag Nasty and Screeching Weasel and you know those totally two different bands, but it appealed to a sense of me that I hadn't. It was a little bit. It was a step step up from you know the Kermit the Frog stuff. Right, right. <laughs> and so like when you were obviously when you were playing in these bands and stuff like that, um, was that something that like pretty much the moment that you know you picked up a guitar and you know started to do that. Um, was that something like, like you said, that kind of just became a part of you where you're like, oh, I need to continue to keep doing this. Like this, this has to be a part of my life. And this is obviously very important. I don't think I was ever conscious of it. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're just doing it. Yeah. It was, it was what, what I did. It was same thing with like skateboarding. 
And I was like, you know, obviously I'm not like busting huge like double sets anymore. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. But, but I still like, I'm bombed out and I'm, I'm in my kitchen right now and I'm looking up at my last deck, which I focused on accident uh, this last fall. I never, like, I, I very rarely do I skateboard anymore, but I always have a skateboard. Right. And I always, like, you know, I, I worked at, I was bartender at this bar, and the kitchen staff are all, like, you know, 10 years younger, whatever, like, grommets, like, with skate dudes, and, <laughs> you know, they're all like, come on, let's go skate, let's go skate. And I was like, I can't really do it like I used to, but, so one day for shits and giggles, I brought my board, and I totally fucking housed him, totally schooled him. Oh, Way to game of skate. <laughs> Did a couple of Ollie Impossibles, you know? Yeah, that's incredible. And they're like, I've never seen that, you know? And, well, and, and I guess what I, I'm drawing it back to is, it's just what I do. I, I, I will always have a skateboard, just like I'll always have a guitar, you know? Um, I don't know why. It just doesn't feel right otherwise. Yeah, just part, part of your blood. I don't, yeah, I don't do it to the same degree that I used to, but also I'm, I'm getting a little bit more into that self-preservation thing. Well, <laughs> self-preservation in the sense of you're trying to protect yourself and make yourself live longer? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like, you know, the, the idea of a broken leg is much more daunting now than it was at 25. Got it. Yes, yes. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean... To be fair, like, I feel stronger than I ever have. Like, you know, 35 feels good. You know, I know my body. I know my limits. And I also know much better what I can do with what I have left. Right. I mean, my 35-year-old self could beat the hell out of my 25-year-old self. <laughs> that. That's good. But it's just that, you know, you get a little smarter and you get a little bit more intuition, you know? Right, of course. Like you said, you know your limits. Um Yeah. <clears throat> And then sort of... That's know, why I'm not sleeping on floors 365 days a year. Right, exactly. There was a time and a place. <laughs> and Yeah, I mean, I'm ready, I'm, I'm ready to do it for about 30. 30 days a year would be okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, and speaking about the sleeping on floors 365 days a year, um, I found that really interesting that, you know, you and uh, 12 or 13 of your friends, like, made this mass exodus from Peoria. Um, and I presume that... Um, by that time, like, planes had started to exist in some way, shape, or form, and then obviously the move to Denver sort of crystallized it, or how, how was that transpiring? Um, it all kind of happened at once. Like, planes put out, we got together and it was all, like, just a flash. Like, we decided that we were going to tour, that that's what we wanted to do, that's what made sense, but in order to tour we had to have a reason to. Uh-huh. And that reason would be the nine songs that we recorded, or eight. Right. I forget how many. Right. Uh, so we went and, you know, cut what we thought was a demo and or just an EP, uh-huh. and we started touring. Got it. We put it out ourselves, and uh, it kind of caught on, sort of. Yeah, no, I... I mean, it wasn't like... It wasn't like gangbusters, but it, it caught on, and we're like, it was just a byproduct of what we what we were. We're like, all right, well, we're going to do this, and then we're going to go, you know, all move together to Denver, and Denver's not New York, Denver's not L.A., it's in, kind of in the middle of the country. Sure. And it doesn't have any pretense. That's true. And it's beautiful. I love, I love Denver. You know, I mean, eastern Colorado is one of the most hideous parts of the country, but once you hit Denver, like, that's that's where I want to be. That's where I want to die, you know? Right. Um, I love it. I love the mountains. I love I loved being able to go out in my backyard every day and see, like, hey, there's always a way out. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> if I'm I need not... to, I can hide. Yeah. Sure, you're not trapped. I can hide in those hills. Yeah, speaking to the, because I, I mean, I remember my first um, exposure to planes was, Right before, you know, the the Deep Elm stuff happened, where they obviously picked up that first EP that you were meant, or, you know, demo slash EP you were mentioning, because um, you'd, you'd come out here to California, and you'd, you'd 
did some shows and it was I just remember like the the talk the way that planes was originally described to me was like hey so you know you obviously like this you know all the stuff that's happening in the you know mid 90s from you know get up kids promise ring like the you know the emo scene as it were um you like that sensibility but here's some dudes that are dirty as shit, long hair, and, like, don't look like any of those other bands, but still have this melodic sensibility, that's what Planes Mistaken for Stars is. And it always, like, it took me back, because I was like, oh, I was like, oh, it sounds cool. And then, like, watching you guys play, it was, it, it was definitely exactly how it was described, where it was just like, like you said, there was no pretense. You guys got up there, you did your thing, and, you know, whatever... You know, if people liked it, it didn't like it, whatever. You you still were going to do it regardless, and that seems like the attitude carried over the entire career of the band. Yeah, it it was. I mean, you kind of nailed it on the head. I mean, you know, a good guy to talk to about that kind of stuff, and, and somebody you should interview definitely. That's he's, he's, he can chat. It's <laughs> a bar from no no idea. Very true. He uh, he he, and I never heard it put this way, but he. I was just in Gainesville recently and somebody asked how we met. It was like, you know, three of us. I think maybe it was Darbs, the guy, uh, like a compadre from uh, Hawks. Okay. He asked Bar, like, how did you and Garrett meet? You know, and he's like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he, he, he described the first time that he saw us and how it was kind of, like, kind of scary, but not. Like, it was like, wow, this is, just this far from being too much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you guys pushed the envelope, but didn't push it far enough to where it was this, like, completely undigestible. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of like his, his, his story about it, because he had heard about, well, me and him had been talking for a bit on the phone, because, you know, we didn't want to de- deal with Deep Elm at all. Like, we're just like... Fucking what a drag, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, no idea. It's huge for me. Like, I mean, one of the reasons that I think we went down the path we did too. Another huge, like, musical like discovery of mine was there's an issue of no idea that came out that had a split evidence with Sam I and Jawbreaker, mm-hmm. and that was like kind of the thing that hit it home. So I was like, wow, this stuff is aggressive. This stuff is melodic it's not nihilistic right but it's also not like it's not not fey it's not like you know what I mean right, it's right. not like like too you know uh, my feelings are hurt you know like kind of, <laughs> kind of stuff sure it, it was like it, it had like an emotional like impact but it wasn't asking you to feel sorry for it sure that makes sense you know and and so like no idea huge for for us and so yeah I I had been talking to Var and we were on tour with Cursive and Small Brown Bike and this is like 2000 mm-hmm. and he hadn't seen us yet and I guess the, the the bike guys were calling him like oh my god you have to see this band they fucking fight the audience <laughs> and Var's like what do you mean they fight like they're violent and they're like no I mean they they're scary and they, you just have to see it. They spit all over each other, and they're like yelling at the audience. And Barbara's like, oh, I guess you know, rightfully so. He had a bit of trepidation about inviting us into his house. You know, I mean, right? But <laughs> his story goes like, yeah, and he came and saw us, and he was like immediately like, oh, I get it. You know, because we really did not care what anybody thought. Right? Like, we were like so in love with. the like each other and our little traveling commune mm-hmm. that it didn't matter. You know, it, it really kind of did feel like it was us against the world to a certain extent, but we also didn't have anything to prove except for like, Hey, why don't you just get a little loose and take care of each other? Right. And quit being so fucking pretentious. Jesus Christ, you paid six bucks to get in here. Sure. Like, you can have fun with everybody else. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, get loose. And so, and that was the thing. And that, you know, that was the one thing that, like, our god awful name worked for us to our advantage was that 
people came and thought they were going to see us with their horn rims and like cardigans crying about shit and instead we scared the hell out of them so like I mean we I don't think we were really that scary but it was all relative right to the situation if you if you compared the two you know those two images that you're talking about where it's like you know the horned rims and cardigans of obviously the mid 90s and then you know your guys's image of jeans that are barely hanging on your body and shirtless long-haired guys like you know it's it, it, it yeah. could be well, yeah. from well it's like putting a promo picture of, like Jejune up next to Black Oak Arkansas <laughs> you know yeah it's, it's very <laughs> that's what it was right and and the thing is with you know we, we looked scary like you know war hippies or whatever but we we kind of followed it up too it wasn't like we were like this is our shtick like we really just were in our own collective heads and I think and like this, yeah the, I think you this is what punk rock is to us at right. the time you know the and the thing that I also noticed as well about you guys I, I think you use the word commune to describe it because um, I, I remember too where it was like honestly like the, the myth of Planes Mistaken for Stars uh, you know after you guys did a few tours you know people started to talk about you guys in the sense of not only were they impressed with you musically but they were just like Yo, these dudes are crazy. Like, you know, they like, you know, sleep naked on top of each other. Whatever, you know, the millions of stories <laughs> that people can obviously, you know, the game of telephone that is played within the music scene. Um, but I just, yeah. I just remember the myth of Planes Mistaken for Stars starting to permeate. And um, fortunately, it never dictated, you know, obviously what you guys did, where it's like all of a sudden, you know, Planes needs to be a more conservative band, because obviously that wasn't the case. Um, but yeah. so did you like, did you guys, you know, did you purposefully like notice that and then kind of like react to it or you were just like, oh, that shit's funny or like how, you know, did, were you conscious of it at all? Um, no, not really. Like in, <laughs> in hindsight, like I can, I can see where we like sort of like pump the brakes a little bit mm-hmm. over the years. Sure. But I will tell you like, you know. Like the stories that you hear, like, you know, 75% of them are totally fucking true. <laughs> like, like and, tell- and the other 20, the other 25% are inflated and or misinterpreted and or, who knows, like, it, we were just one of those bands that would just, I think because we were open and, and to so many prospects and so many situations and, we we didn't nobody was not cool enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We would end up in really bizarre situations. <laughs> <laughs> and and instead of and instead of us running, I think some of us sometimes would lend ourselves to the situation to it was kind of more like an on the road thing, like a Kerouac thing, like uh-huh. hey, let's let's see what this whole America thing is really about. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, sure. No, I get it. You guys, Hell yeah. You guys were open to all of the experiences that came along with the randomness of playing different towns each night, and you're like, well, you know, I won't turn this, you know, whatever. Yeah, you won't turn this experience, no matter how controversial, crazy it may seem. It's like, well, like we need to at least experience this because we're here right now. Yeah, we weren't going back to the hotel room and playing Jenga. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah. We, I've definitely seen some shit that would turn your hair white. Let's put it that way. Right. No, totally. You know, and it's, it's not, you know, and the thing is, like, almost all of it was good, good natured. Like, we never, we were usually just in the midst of, like, that madness. Okay. You know, like, we were subject to it. Like, we wouldn't, go out of our way to fuck a situation up ever right but I think that there's a certain sort of uh, chemistry or magnetism to certain kinds of people that especially people that are super like empathetic like almost empaths you know what I mean mm-hmm. and like the thing is about planes like the closest thing that ever made us like emo was that we're all very sensitive dudes man 
Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like we would look out for people, the biggest of wingnuts. And so maybe sometimes we would let people a little too close and then the shit would hit the fan. Got it. <laughs> you know, where most people would take off running. Like, oh, dude, let's get away from this fucking, this couple or this guy or this place or maybe we shouldn't stay there. We're always open for adventure, man. Right, right. And so as as you guys were progressing in your, you know, I, I, I use the word career lightly just based on the fact that you guys obviously never viewed a band as a career, just something, like you said, that was ingrained. Um, you know, you, uh, like you mentioned earlier, you know, you have, uh, you have two kids. How old are your kids now? Nine and five. Nine and five. And I know during, during the, you know, touring years of the band and stuff like that, um, you know, you also, were you married once or twice during that time? Once, once. And, and, uh, fantastic subject um yeah no no i know and honestly whatever you feel like if there's any point that you're no no no. yeah yeah (laughs) no it's fine i you know i have uh two very beautiful beautiful children two boys lux and loki uh nice names just just yeah thank you (laughs) just the best um you know and that, that goes back to the like the whole we're all kiddos you know i got married way too young um, things didn't work out. Things shit hit the fan, and you know, is a lot of that was a you got married too young. B you spent ten years away from this person that you married. Right. And people grow mm-hmm. in different directions, and it doesn't always bode well. Right. And you know, it all worked out for the best. Sure, uh, but the, the kids, man. Sure, yeah, <laughs> that's, no, when, that's that. when plane plane started to so kind of slow down, not slow down with what we were doing, but when it and the reason this all comes full circle to you talking about the career mm-hmm. aspect of it, we got to a point where like we had done it for so long that we're like, holy shit, we we really like. We can't do this. We can't pay to play anymore. Right. You know, and it started to be more of a, hey, let's worry less about like going out and being hellions, you know, or like, you know, running around with our head head on fire. But right. uh, let's, let's focus more on the, the artistry of it and like what we really started this for. Uh-huh. And I mean, I, I think our last two records were our best you know and if you you listen to them from the start like you know the first EP to Mercy you can see like the natural progression and you can also see where we start focusing more on craft but I think the most important thing about it is that we didn't lose the fire you know right it just got we just honed it sure a little bit better and I mean you know that's not to say we didn't get a little weird on the last couple tours too but it just it just wasn't uh, we just felt much less like a biker gang and more like a a decent rock band (laughs) I I like the biker gang analogy that's really good um and you're I mean you mentioning the last two records um you know the you had always dealt with you know dark subject matter and you know kind of um you know, you, you were always wanting to put yourself out there and, um, you know, cause you, I mean, at, at certain points in your life, you know, definitely had, uh, you know, demons that you had to exercise in regards to, um, you know, I, I don't know how in depth you were in regards to like, you know, battling certain addictions you may had or, you know, whatever, like I said, those demons, but they definitely all came out on the record. And that's, uh, and that's pretty interesting because some people, you know, I mean, Obviously, you hear artists using, you know, events as catalysts for their art and everything like that. Um, but it seemed like with you specifically, it um, they existed in conjunction of one another and they kind of fed off one another in a way. Um, but then you were able to use that, you know, the records or, you know, the tours or whatever to be able to help you, you know, 
overcome those certain demons. Um, I don't know if that's me just reading way too into it or if you felt like... No, that's you You having your finger is directly on the pulse as you can. Okay, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's you have your finger on the pulse and I'm kind of uh, taking it back. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah, ran I, mean... for, I, you know, I, I ran for a long time. Sure. You know, uh, I pushed myself and I pushed planes, you know, for a long time to, because I wasn't happy, you know, and, and, and that's, there's no easier way to, like, hide from unhappiness than to be somewhere different every day. That's true. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, having I to do something that is required of you every day, and whether that meant writing or whether that meant, you know, touring the world like sure. it just I was able to run and but I was like in a perpetual state of denial mm-hmm. like a complete arrested state of development okay um I didn't know when I was writing like you know the lyrics to like Up in the Guts or, or Mercy I didn't at the time I didn't know they were true stories <laughs> that's it that's really interesting it was like you were you were penning an autobiography, but not not yeah. intentionally doing it. Yeah, I didn't know that they're true. Like, I didn't, I just thought that, wow, all of a sudden I got clever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. And, like, conversely, I haven't written that much the past couple of years because I'm not totally fucking miserable. Sure. <laughs> Dude, yeah. So it's this, it's this new new chapter in my life where I miss music desperately and I miss doing that. And but what the hell am I going to write about? Mm-hmm. You know how great my salad was, <laughs> like <laughs> for lunch. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I, you know, totally. I, it's, like, a, it's a challenge. You know, you, know like, you, you flex a different yeah. creative muscle. Yeah, and I mean it's getting there. You know, I mean the Hawks record, like. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, because you'll get a kick out of this, mm-hmm. um, is uh, the, the last song on, on Mercy, Okay, it's called Penitence, mm-hmm. it's that acoustic one, and uh, which is almost kind of like the first Hawks song. Sure, there's elements like, of that. I mean, but that song now in retrospect, I'm able to look look at it and be like, holy shit, that was me saying goodbye. I didn't know it, and I've never been one for, like, ultra-dramatics. Like, I wasn't going to jump off a bridge or anything, but, right. you know, if I hadn't woke up at one point, I would have been just fine with it. Mm-hmm. And that song's kind of like me saying goodbye and sorry, and hey, I tried. Interesting. So, the last song on this Fox record, um, North of Tenth, is... Still, like pretty somber sounding, but I wanted to be very similar because it's the exact opposite message. You know, it's the exact opposite. Like that, North of Tenth is like probably the first, the first love song I've ever written. Right. Like genuinely, from like a, I am happy and let's let's share this and like, let's let's not sleep in the same clothes for fucking ten years. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Let's not. Let's not wallow in our own excrement. You know what I mean? Like, let's do this. Let's 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 get going. Right. Let's uh, fucking grow up. Sure. It's like you full, know, and it's, it's full it's, circle. Yeah, and it's fine to grow up, and that's 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 the scary thing. Like being in your twenties or being in your late teens, and the big the big threat is that you're going to grow up and be lame. You're going to, you know, <laughs> yeah, and. It, or you're going to grow up and you're going to be irrelevant and you're not going to be vital and you're not going to be on fire. It's not true. Like, the, yeah. the coolest people I know are older than me. Right. And I'm the oldest guy in the fucking block. <laughs> you know? Like, sure. Um, you can still push ahead. And so, those are where those two songs tie in. And yeah. I don't know... I've been wanting to tell you that. I've been wanting to talk to you for some time. You gotta fucking return emails more. I, I'm terrible with Facebook. 
Facebook is <laughs> Facebook I'm atrocious at, but yeah. No, I mean that's it like when, when I listened to the record and I heard um yeah, I mean it's just it the evolution of you as a musician has definitely played itself out to where it really does reflect your life in, you know, the most realistic of terms. And it's like, you know, that there are very few people that are able to kind of, you know, accomplish that. Um and in a manner that is done like you you weren't calculated about it you know you weren't writing this huge narrative where it's like you know the first plane cp or like this is going to be the story arc of what this band is going to be and you know it just it just happens oh yeah yeah and that that's the difference between the planes and the hawks stuff i mean the hawks the hawks record when we were recording it, and when I was writing it, which is a story in, in and of itself, like, <laughs> we, pract- we practiced twice and recorded that. Talk, talk about uh, put, testing your metal, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but when I was writing those words, um, and that's what it is. I mean, when I started playing music or trying to play music, it wasn't so much that I wanted to be like this rocker guy. You know, I, I just wanted to write, but I certainly didn't want to be a poet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't like the art house scene. I didn't like coffee shops. Sure. I didn't like the, the pretense or the pretension. Um, so I figured, you know, I could write about these things that I need to get off of my chest, but if I hide it like underneath just enough feedback, Nobody's going to give me shit, you know? Right. <laughs> and so that's what, that's what we did. But do you mind if I smoke? No, not at all. Good. <laughs> I, was, I was being cheeky. I understand. Um, yeah, because it's not like you would be smoking on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know you're sensitive about these things. Oh, very much so. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, with the Hawks record, it was the first time that I was like, I, I came to the realization that, holy shit, like all of these plane songs came true. And for a while, I thought I like predestined it to happen. That was a bad place for, for a hot minute, dude. You know, like, <laughs> they're all, you know, I had what you call a loud vertical nap for about six months. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. No, I understand. Hey, that. dude. Oh, hey, man, it's so good to see you. It's good to see you too, but you've been sleeping on the couch for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> kind of situation. Sure. But, <laughs> but um, so then I realized, like, holy shit! Like these, all these plain songs, like it wasn't like they came true; they actually were happening. Right. And so with the Hawks thing, to keep my just to pull myself out of where I was, I was like, I'm going to document this and totally be aware of it mm-hmm. and and that's why you know I mean it's a bit pretentious but I call it year one you know yeah that's makes sense <laughs> um, and sort of to you know wrap things up in a somewhat cohesive manner um, the you know like you I think you mentioned at some point in our talk where the you know, what, the simplest way to ask it is like, obviously, like, what keeps the fire going? Where it's like, you know, because so many people could have gone through what you've gone through personally and, you know, gone through what you've gone with business wise and in a band and everything like that, that you would just be like, yeah, I'm just, you know, maybe going to make music, but it's for myself. But, um, you know, that you feel, still feel comfortable to, you know, put it out there to the world. Um, and is it, you know, does it just hit on the fact that, um, this is something that is obviously a part of you and you'll never be able to give it up. Um, uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to shake it. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 I, on that, but on that same note to like still put it out there, like, you know, cause some people obviously like, you know, they do their shit in the garage and you know, no one will ever hear about it. But the fact that you obviously still pursue, um, you know, formal releases. And I mean, fortunately you obviously have the Avenue with, you know, bar and no idea yeah. because you guys are bros. Um, but yeah, that you still want to put it out there for the world to obviously know and understand. I probably give you a couple answers to that. I mean, one of them's going to sound cheeky, but it's not. And it sure. was kind of the whole thing that all the planes guys agreed on. It's like we really, 
wanted to make people feel less alone, you know, and, and we wanted to feel less alone. We wanted an understanding. We wanted like that community, you know, we wanted mm-hmm. to be able to be able to feel like, Hey, we're all on the same page. Like a lot of us like are right. I'm right here, man. You know? Right. And, uh, the other part of it's obviously ego. Anybody that plays guitar or sings or any of that tells you they don't need their ego waxed once in a while. It's lying. Playing their ass off. Right. You know, you miss that. You miss people being like, Oh dude, record is bad you know other part of it is I can't shake it and other part of it is like fucking fun like yeah <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so much fun like it's I'll, I hope I'm you know don't ever stop you know I mean there's guys like Tom Waits or Leatherface or you know cats in their 50s that are doing this shit and it gives me hope you right. know like hey alright so yeah it's, it's but I think it's mainly like, yeah, I just want to feel less alone. I want people to feel the same. That that could that could not be more, you know, the the best way to end this talk because that I mean that's it's very it's it's not only a noble effort but obviously it's selfish at the same time because you're just like hey I want to make you not feel alone because we can feel this together you know yeah yeah. Like I told you, I was raised without selling lines of shit. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, blame my grandpa. Yeah, I will, I will blame your grandpa. I'll find him and say, you're the reason that we have all of this awesome music. Thanks a lot. <laughs> God damn it. Thank you very much for obviously wanting to participate in this. And yeah, I was glad we were able to uh, catch up and dive deep into things. Thank you, buddy. I'm, I'm glad that you care. Oh, dude, for sure. You know. Well, not not only do I care, but I know other people will care, too, because it's, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you're still a relevant person within the independent music industry, as it were. So, there you go. Thank you, brother. 